Hi everybody, it's John Lamoureux. Thanks for listening to The Hustle. Thanks for coming back. We had to take last week off. Uh, real life just gets in the way sometimes. My guest this week is Jim Walker, and this is a unique one. I, um, As far as I knew, for the last 30 years, almost 30 years, he's only ever done one thing, and that is have a song that I absolutely love in a movie that I like a lot, but that is rather obscure. And I've been obsessed with this song and figuring out who this guy was for almost 30 years. And I've recently found him. That was a major, major moment for me. Uh, Imagine though, I mean, this guy has a really interesting story. So uh, most of the people I talk to on here have been given like their 15 minutes of fame. Well, imagine if you're Jim Walker and you found a golden ticket to stand in line for your 15 minutes of fame. But what happens is that the window closes as soon as it's your turn. Pretty incredible stuff, this story. Now, another thing that's kind of unique is we spend the majority of the time talking about this one particular song, because before talking to him, that's all I ever knew that he did. And so um, we're gonna play the full song for you here in a minute, but I wanted to introduce you to Jim Walker, a guy that I have been fascinated by for many, many years, and I can't believe I finally got a chance to talk to him. He called me from his home in Portland. Jim Walker. I was, you know, I was going to say the one and only Jim Walker, but here's one of the things that's frustrating about trying to track you down is that there are a million Jim Walkers. And mm-hmm. so you couldn't even, you couldn't even have had like a more unique name so that people who wanted to Google you and learn more about you could have done that easily, you know? But instead, we'll call you the mysterious, infamous, Slash beloved Jim Walker. Um, that sounds I, great. Okay, I hope you're okay with that. I'm going to tell you real quick, um, and anyone listening, who you are. I wonder how it must feel to have recorded a song almost 30 years ago that is beloved by such a uh, a committed but small group of people. Um, why don't you tell everyone what it is that you're kind of, if you're known, what, what's your, uh, what you're known for? Well, back in 1987, I wrote and recorded a, a song for a movie called Three O'Clock High, which was a sort of an 80s, turned into an 80s cult movie.
and uh, it was uh, a, a really great experience. But it was just sort of a, it's kind of an experience that just sort of happened, and um, it was then when it was over, I just kind of went on with my regular life, and the, and the movie didn't really do very well when it came out, and I didn't think about it much until maybe ten years later or so, and I. I was thinking about this the other day, I was, and I was in a, a blockbuster video, like returning videos, and I walk in, and I, it's like a Sunday morning, like there's nobody in the place, and I walk in, and, and this guy says to this other guy, you haven't seen this movie? This is my brother and my favorite movie, and I hear myself singing, and I look up, and these guys are watching 3 o'clock high, and I was like, oh, oh man. well, somebody actually saw this movie. Wow. And it also Did you kind say anything? Of, no. I felt, oh. I don't know why, I felt really sort of kind of embarrassed in a weird way. Like oh, I, just, wow. I felt really strange and exposed and I just wanted to flee. Uh-huh. So, uh, <laughs> but that was also right around the time that the internet was kind of getting born. And I started to get emails from people sort of, you know, very, it wasn't like all the time, but once every six, seven, eight months, I'd get an email from someone. Sometimes it was from, you know, uh, somebody in Michigan or something like that. And they'd be mm-hmm. like, you know, hey, are you that guy that did that song? And I, yeah. Hey, I really like that song. Right. Wow, thanks. And then it just kind of, I kept getting these things. And sometimes they were from somebody in like Chile, like a kid in Chile. Um, wow. Somebody from England, somebody from Stockholm, somebody from Florida. And I just couldn't believe that, you know, there was people out there that really liked the movie. And, yeah. you know, somehow it, it sort of stuck with some people. So it was, here's it was this cool. thing. I uh, I think it's interesting. So, first of all, as we all know, 80s was like the heyday of the great teenage movie, whether they be in, like, high school or college. And like most people, I discovered the movie after the fact. I didn't see it in theaters. Almost no one did. But it was on HBO later, yeah, and I, think I recorded it. Right? Right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So you and now, And I'm originally from Utah, where the movie was filmed. Um, not in Ogden, which I know it was filmed in Ogden High, at Ogden oh. High, but that kind of gave it this extra layer of of interest and meaning for me. So I'm watching the movie when I'm, I don't know, 1987, I would have been 14. And um, it's such a strange thing that you're the only song played in the whole course of the whole movie. And the movie is beloved by a small, devout uh band of cultists who love this movie and my guess is that all of those your song is something that contributes to their love of that movie nobody who loves the movie hates your song whereas some people might love your song and be indifferent about the movie there's just something special about that song and i wonder how the so tell me about how you came about to write that song did you did you feel inspired was it sort of like one of those moments that songwriters talk about where it's just sort of the heavens open up and it falls in your lap what uh well how did you get picked first of all and then how did you get inspired to write uh i was giving guitar lessons to a guy named phil juano who was the director of the film at the time he was just a another guy making short films and a guy that i kind of knew in town and and taking guitar lessons from me and uh at a certain point some nice things started to happen for him he he did a, sh- a short film that um, Steven Spielberg took some interest in, and from then um, he they let him direct a uh, or had him direct a, um, 
TV show, an episode of a TV show called Amazing Stories. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yep, I do remember that. Kind of like the Twilight Zone, but with a little more family, yep. you know, oriented themes. And he did that, and then they let him do a feature, and the feature turned out to be 3 o'clock high. And uh, I didn't think anything about it as far as like, oh, boy, I'd like to get a song in that. He was just telling me about it. I thought it was really cool. And they had some other people, like Tom Petty was attached to do some uh, or a song or two for it and a couple other people. And somehow those people turned the songs in, and it, 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 they didn't really work out. And so Phil said, you know, write, you, you should write something. And I went, really? He goes, yeah. And, and he showed me the first scene of the movie, and he said, just write something kind of based on this, and this is what the character is going through, and this is what's going on. And I said, okay. So I just spent now, the afternoon kind of... Sorry to interrupt. Do you think he okay. suggested you because as... Um... Like, do you think he had already kind of gone to the studio and said, I know a guy for this? Or was it more like he was telling you about it and said, and, oh, well, you should try, as just sort of not throwing you a bone, but with no real commitment behind it? Or was he making an offer to you like a, that could I, potentially legitimately lead to something? Well, I think he, you know, we were friends, but I, I think he liked my music first and foremost. He liked my songs. So Weren't you in a band at the he, time? Yeah, Ben, it was called Lost Anthony, and we played all over the place in, in L.A. know genuinely liked the music and and kind of seized the opportunity and went oh well maybe i can okay. you know try to try to help this guy out and get a song sure. a song and movie and so i just did a little demo played it for phil and phil really liked it and then he played it for the top guys and mr spielberg and all that stuff and apparently it seemed to fit with the the right spirit of the movie and mm -hmm. i was lucky <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing um, now, so tell me about when you found out that you got selected, that your song was going to be the one that was played. And isn't it strange, too, that it's the only song? I mean, Tangerine Dream did the whole rest of the soundtrack. Was that always the plan? Do you know? You know what? Until you mentioned it, I didn't even really think about that there wasn't another song in the movie. <laughs> but you're right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're the only I, one. Yeah, that's true. I do remember them, you know, they, there was like long montage scenes in the beginning, like you said, of him getting ready for school and driving the car around and all the crazy stuff, trying to get ready for, to to get to school and pick up his girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. And uh -huh. so they needed a lot more time in the song. And I remember them saying, well, this part's got to just be, just keep going. So we, mm. we cut, cut the tune with like three minutes 
of the band kind of vamping on this so that they could just use whatever they wanted out of it. They could chop it wherever they wanted and keep it going and, you know, that sort of thing. When you found out that you got chosen, I mean, tell me, give me a, paint me a picture of your life before that. Um, You're a regular guy. You're playing in a band. Did you ever, did Lost Anthony ever record an album or were you more kind of on the local scene? We recorded two EPs together. Okay. Um, and you know, wasn't we actually released them on cassette? That's oh, how yeah? long ago this was. <laughs> sure. Okay. We didn't. You know, it wasn't like the time where you could, you know, do CDs really easily or anything like that. This was yeah. '86 or '87. No, like yeah, '86. And so, you know, we, and we were, you know, like everybody else in the world, we were, you know, hoping to get a record deal and all this kind of stuff, and sitting around like isn't really my strong suit. So I just said, mm-hmm. we just should just do something on our own, you know, release something, whether it's a cassette or whatever, just to have something out, you know, because we can. Yeah. And so, uh, so we recorded one EP with, that was kind of sketchy with a, uh, a, a band, a couple of band members who didn't really end up working out. And then we recorded another one really, really well in a really, really nice studio that a friend of mine had access to. Mm. And it sounded like you know a million bucks. Wow! So, so that was yeah, that was cool. Was lost? Does does the style of Lost Anthony sound like? Would it sound similar to the style of something to remember me by? Yeah, uh, it was. It was. You know, I, I mean, I love really good pop music, really good hooks, um, and uh, I mean, I was always trying to go for some stuff like that that was sure mem- memorable and catchy and. If you were going to, who was who were your influences at the time? At the time, I would have to say, hugely into Elvis Costello. Okay. But but really, really, and I wouldn't admit it at the time because it was kind of not that cool. But you know, Paul McCartney and Billy Joel. Yeah. Were like yeah. massive, massive. Oh my God! Yeah. I mean, I, you know, They're I worship those guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, you know, you were supposed to be listening to Bananarama or some, right. something that someone told you was really good, and you were supposed to inhale that. Oh, like yeah. It was, like it was, you know, delicious, and go, mm, yeah, yeah. well, Bananarama, they're, they're awesome. Sure, sure. Yeah. Haircut um, 100, ooh, God, those guys, I can't get enough of them. Uh, careful what you say about Haircut 100. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of their first album, first and only, really, album. But uh, I will pass. No, I'll give great. you a pass on that. I'll give you a pass on that. Um, Anyway, so okay, so you're an you're an Elvis Costello lover. You're in a band that's one of the local bands. Phil, now he's your guitar student, right? You're teaching guitar right. at the time. Mm-hmm. Were you guys close enough buddies where you were like hanging out and doing things, or was it just you hit it off when he would come in for a lesson? No, we we and another guy used to hang out together a bit. Um, they, uh, I, I remember going to see E.T. with Phil. Oh wow, which was which was interesting to know that he'd like a year and a half later yeah. he'd be working with, with Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, and did you know him before he became your student? 
I knew of him because he was he was one of these guys in town that was always wanted to be a filmmaker. He was always making short films, always okay. writing scripts, always trying to uh, do some kind of a project. And so people kind of knew of him in town. He always he was a little bit, you know, infamous around yeah. town for for just gathering people and and doing cool projects. Well, then and you he, must have had some. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, that's okay. Uh, uh, he ended up doing a a student film when he went to uh, USC called The Last Chance Dance, and he asked me to uh, be in it. And so I played the best friend of the main character in it, and uh, that was a really Where can experience. that movie be found now? You anywhere? know, I have searched far and wide on the Internet, yeah. cannot find it anywhere, and even the guy <laughs> who shot it, um, a guy named Robert Brinkman, who has gone on to shoot tons and tons of movies, uh, he's a very well-known cinematographer now, he 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 has he said the original copies of it in his closet, but he can't oh, man. find find it anywhere online. So I would love to see it again. Yeah, I was looking for it too, um, but I I can't find it anywhere either. So well, I was going to say you must have had some clout then as a I mean if you've got this guy coming to you wanting guitar lessons, I wonder how he even got your name. Were you um, was he a fan of Lost Anthony? Was did you have some notoriety locally, or was it, you know, did you put your name in a coffee shop and he saw it, ripped one well, of those he, little pieces of paper off with your phone <laughs> number on it? He, well, he kind of knew of me. Uh, he, his sister was friends with my sister, so we kind of oh, knew of each okay. other. Um, okay. And we had, you know, mutual friends and stuff. Um, but really where I got to know him was was uh, on, on that student film, on Last Chance Dance. Oh, okay. Okay. And from there, from then, we became pretty good, you know, tight friends. And then he got guitar okay. lessons from me after that. So I'm curious, when was the last time you saw Phil? Oh gosh, uh, 1992. Oh really? <laughs> okay. Yeah, and uh, just one of those things. I moved to Portland, and I lost uh, track with a, a lot of people sure. you know, until Facebook came along. Right. So. Right. Huh. Funny how that how that happens. Yeah, it, that's kind of how it works, right? So you, um, okay, so you've been, so you, he comes to you and they can't find the right song for the soundtrack. Tom Petty, of all people, it's not working out. And he comes to you and says, why don't you take a crack at it? And mm -hmm. how do you get inspired? You see the, the opening scene that you're basically scoring with this song. Um, where does the inf inspiration for this particular song come from? Well, I remember thinking that I, I just didn't have a really strong c connection with it yet, and I watched it and watched it over and over again, and I just couldn't quite figure out a title. And then I, I remembered this thing popped in my head. It was like an old, uh, like film noir movie I saw, where some tough guy, you know, says to like a cop, like, uh, you know, back off, flatfoot. I'll give you something to remember me by. And I was like, oh yeah, something to remember me by. I think there was an old song in the '40s called Something to Remember Me By, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, okay. And so, you know, it it, it wasn't the, the stroke of genius I thought it was. But um, so so uh, oh. then I went, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good title. So I, I just started messing around with that and uh, kind of going back into my my uh, feelings about what it was like to, you know, have a bully after me when I was a kid, uh -huh. you know, how, how scary that was, what it felt like to, you know, to just be terrified yeah. Uh, someone, yeah. someone, you know, that's going to kick your ass up at three o'clock 
you know, it happened to me many times. Sure. So, huh? You know. So when you when you're saying in the song, I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to get too nerded out about this song, but as you as you can probably tell, I'm one of these people. In fact, I was just looking as of right now. Something to remember me by has been listened to on YouTube, sixty one thousand two hundred seventy one times. What? And yeah, sixty one thousand two hundred seventy one. Now keep in mind, probably half of those are me, but still, <laughs> that's thirty thousand people, right? And uh, I don't know how often you monitor that, but that's gotta feel good, right? Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. you know. Once in a rare while, I'll, I'll, because uh, I, I, I know there's not really much in the way of that song on, oh. really online. That you, you, like I know that the the album, with a Tangerine Dream, for some reason I don't know after it went out of print, and now you have to spend like, I think like a minimum of forty five dollars yeah. or something, for the CD and like sixty dollars for the vinyl, or something yeah. like that. No, like, what? So, now. Yeah, you're not an easy guy to find. So if you're somebody like me who grew up like loving the movie, loving that song, and then in the inter- you know, as the internet age comes upon us and we're like, well things are much easier. Napster's around. I mean, I you know, big apology to artists out there who are getting screwed by Napster and the like now. I totally get it. But for people like you, where there's really no other way to find this song, it was a godsend to have to have stumbled upon it online, I don't know, 10 years ago or whenever it was that I did, and uh, be able to now listen to it whenever I want. It was too difficult. In fact, I'm looking at the cover of the soundtrack right now, and it says music by Tangerine Dream and Sylvester LaVey. You have to like squint to find your name on there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Am I on there at all? I don't think. Not on the front. I think you're on the back. And even then, I can't. I'm not even sure if you're listed as by Jim Walker. I know if you go on AllMusic.com, which is like my, I'm on there every day practically. Me too. Um, it doesn't differentiate that that song is by you. And to make get even geekier about this, I think. If I remember correctly, the credits of the movie don't scroll like over black. They're not white on black. They're, um, I think they're purple over like a freeze frame from the movie. And so I remember as a kid, and I'm watching this on a on a recorded VHS tape off of HBO or something. Mm-hmm. Does that? I think that says Jim Walker. I, I'm not entirely sure. I think that says Jim Walker on there. That's but I've never heard of Jim Walker. Who's? How do I get my hands on this song? And it was like impossible until it became illegal, you know, 20 years later or whatever. But I, anyway. I do remember. I do remember that I, I have the very last credit in the movie. Yeah, you I, do. I remember that that being like a little bit of a, you know, either you can look at it either way. Go, hey, that's the last thing people see, or I'm the very last thing that people ignored when they left the moment no. that the movie ended. <laughs> no way. No way. I would argue that it's uh it's like that what do they call them? Easter eggs? 
You know, those little hidden things yeah. that people who are really obsessive have to look for. I'm telling you, the people who love this movie, a large part of their um, of what makes this movie beloved for them is your song. And I just think it's amazing that you were, how old were you in 1986 or 7? I was 22. 22. I was a 22, you're teaching guitar. Is that your only job is that your main job uh i think i was working in a record store at the time oh nice vinyl okay. vinyl you know? yes that would have been the dream job so you're working in a record store you're teaching guitar you're living at home with your folks right yeah in a in a kind of a converted room that was next to the pool in the backyard it was so i was i was actually paying my parents rent to live in this room that was filled with uh you know, water bugs and uh-huh. the skunks. The skunks would come in and saw mice and rats and spiders and was, nice. You know, and you're sleeping was, out there and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. The so band would practice the room, out there. We play, yeah. Your the band that's lost Anthony is practicing back there too. Yeah, we practiced in there. The second we hit like the first quarter of the night, you'd see like a, a mouse run across the room and go hide <laughs> under something. <laughs> Yes. And this is the guy, this is the environment that produces this song that means so much to 61,271 people. I guess guess Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Phil Juwanu, your friend, your buddy, comes to you and says, why don't you take a crack at it? You you produce the song in your DIY way in the pool house, Mm -hmm. and you send it over to them. And then how, what happens after that? Uh, well, I, he, I, Phil really liked the song and he, he took it to, uh, to Steven Spielberg after the other guys didn't work out. And he just said, I think this, this is something that has a little bit more of the, of the flavor of the, of the movie. And let's see what you think. And he liked it. I wanna, I let me time? ask you, oh, sorry. Okay. Then, what's that? No, go ahead. Well, am I, I, am I skipping, I am I skipping something in the timeline? I'm trying to remember. No, 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 no. I want to, um, I'm going to ask you kind of a pointed question. I hope this doesn't sound offensive. How much of it was Will or Phil um, like going to bat for a buddy? And how much of it do you think was, this is the song that I believe in. This is the song that belongs in my movie. You know what I'm I saying? Yes, totally. And I, I honestly don't think he would have tried to do anything just for a buddy. Okay. You know, I, I, that's just not that he wouldn't go to bat for a buddy. It's just sure. that, it's just not, not it's not it was it wasn't appropriate for that. Okay. I think he just really loved the song. Good. And that's Good. why he brought me into it because you know, I I, I just think that was the that was the case and yeah. it just worked out. Okay. Okay. So and then uh, Spielberg, Spielberg, for crying out loud, <laughs> here's your song and he likes it and he huh? signs off on it says yes this is the song we're going with right. Yeah. What do you do when you get that phone call? Um, I, I, I didn't believe it. And I was, you know, real excited. And I got called down to, um, he has a, had at the time, a, maybe he still does, I don't know, a compound of offices at the Universal Studios lot called Amblin. And I get called down to Amblin and I went into Phil's office. And Phil said, they want your song in the movie. And I went, oh. He said, and we wanna, they want to give you $10,000. For it, and for a guy like me who was living pretty close, close and scrappy, sure, that was like, 
wow. And that was, you know, yeah. 1987. So it's a, it's a, that's a good chunk of change now. And But back yeah. then it was like, holy God. Yeah. And I told my parents, <laughs> I told my parents, and they're like, you know, you can move out and get the hell away from us. We don't have to listen to your crappy band anymore. Um, and and uh, and I did, and I and I the first thing I did, well, actually, pretty much the only thing I did with the money was I bought a van so that we could carry gear. In. Wow. Oh man. And and that was it. It was like that's the end of the money. Yep. There and, it goes. Yeah. And then I got was that course, is that taxes. all the money you ever made for it? Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about that taxes. <laughs> how much of uh how much did taxes come out of it? I'm trying to remember, but I I do recall that was the first year of me really being aware of income tax because uh-huh. <laughs> my mom saying, "Well, you're putting some aside for taxes," and I was like, "That was that again?" Uh, oh. And, and so I I think I I actually think I had to take a loan out to pay my taxes the next oh, year. Wow. So but when you got paid, the, you got to oh so, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that like, um, and you know that was that was the only money I made off of it until they started playing it on cable, and then I started oh. getting residuals. Really? Um, and I I get residuals to this day. Sometimes really? I'll get a check from Guam for thirty three dollars. Really? Sometimes yeah. Sometimes I'll get a check for national, like they'll do something like an all-80s access weekend on VH1 yeah. where they're showing yeah. like all the 80s movies, and that'll be one that they show. And so then they'll you know, get a check for like $102. And then you still I make that much? I mean, I'm hearing that, I hear that some of those checks are like 12 cents. And that, yeah. But you're making, too. you know, a little, that's, you know, you can go out to dinner on one of these checks. Exactly. It's, it's you know, what they, they call mailbox money. Where yeah. you're not expecting it, and you go, "Hey, that's pretty cool." And I, I do remember one time getting a check um, that I really wasn't expecting, and I really was shocked, and I needed it terribly badly at the time. Um, and it just said, "For play in the Netherlands." No way. And it was six thousand dollars. What? Yeah, and that wow. was like probably two thousand, the year two thousand or something. And I went, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> I think I paid my taxes again. That's incredible. Okay, something. This is probably a really dumb question, but I've always wondered this. Do you have direct deposit on these checks? No. Or do they come in the mail? So every time now these are sizable checks, but if you're somebody who gets that twelve cent residual, that comes in a physical check that you have to walk to the bank and deposit if you intend to do anything with it. Hmm. Well, in my case, yeah, I. I I would imagine, you know, I, I sometimes I see the. It seems like every time you turn cable on, you'll see a movie like Jaws, will yeah. be on, or Close Encounters, or an Indiana Jones movie, or yeah. Schindler's List, or all these Steven Spielberg movies. I mean, they just kind of rotate them constantly. And sure. I remember that John Williams, you know, scored all those movies. Oh, you're right. You're right. And and I think about John Williams' special mailbox money. Oh my gosh! What on earth could that be like? What what yes. does this checks look like every three months, every four months? Yes, you know that would be pretty uh pretty interesting. If you're making, I mean, those checks you were telling me about, I mean, the six thousand is obviously kind of an outlier, but even still, I mean, these like I said, this is not twelve cent checks. What must guys like that be getting? That's incredible. I never even thought of that. So anytime yeah. the movie airs, like Fulton's, it was I noticed it was on HBO a year or two ago. And so whenever it's 
whenever it's out there, you just get. How often do these checks come? Well, I'm. That's not the only movie I've ever done stuff for. Most well-known thing. I've done a sure. few, few other little ones that sort of generate a little bit more. So, so like, you know, every I think it's every three months or four months. I can't remember which. It's quarterly. Oh, I guess that would be every three months. Um, you, you know, like I'll get a check from uh, ASCAP, and yeah. and and you know, sometimes it's a uh, dollar fifty, and sometimes it's the Netherlands. Right. Right. Wow. I wish it was the Netherlands more than it was. Yeah, the, no know, kidding. The God bless the, the Netherlands, right? <laughs> Whatever they're doing over there. Yeah. Thank you, Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So when you so you get the ten thousand dollar check, it's a lump sum. It's on you to take out your own taxes. You don't know what that is, but you go out and buy a van with your ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Sounds so right? good when you say it. Yeah. What do you mean? No, it that's that's a big deal. I've never been paid ten thousand bucks for anything. Not anything creative, you know. <laughs> and th- and th- get this, it was a nineteen seventy six Chevy van, white with teardrop windows and oh, shag upholstery so inside right. of it. That is so, Jim. That is exactly how I envisioned the. I, only I pictured it orange. I'll be honest. I was going like orange and brown, full on seventies. But the shag carpet, the Chevy. That's exactly how I envisioned, and I wanted that van to look. I'm and it was so a, glad that's exactly what you bought. I'll get this, and inside of it, there was a swivel chair. Yes, that's in even better. Yes. I think it's just like pretty much an uh, uh, identical uh, copy of the van that um, James Gum kidnaps the woman in Silence of the Lambs. I gave a girl a ride in the way. She crawled in and took control She was tired Cause her mind was a dragon I said get some sleep and dream of rock and roll Cause like a picture she was laying there Moonlight dancing off her hair She woke up and took me by the Perfect. Yeah. That is exactly yeah. what I was hoping this van was. Pretty nice. Pretty, yeah. good, pretty good deal. Oh, that is so good. Now, okay, so you already – now, one, one thing I think – well, there's a lot of things, obviously, that are in your favor in this story. You already know Phil, so it's, it's kind of a story of who you know. And you already live in L.A., so you don't – you're not some guy out in the Midwest who moves to L.A. to follow a dream. You're already there. Um, what uh, what happens when you get selected to be in this movie? What are the next? Well, when 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 does this wave finally kind of crash? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I think it was maybe a month after they told me my song was going to be in it. They they chose the band, which I originally wanted it to be my band, and uh, I was you know I was really going to go to bat for these guys, you know, and insist we cut sure. this with my band. 
and um, and I went in, and when they told me that who they had, who the band was going to be, the producer told me who the band was going to be. They were all guys that I knew from my favorite records, and um, like I, I immediately, like the little uh, stoic balloon over my head with my band, and it just went, forget it, yeah. forget those guys. Yeah, I want to play with these guys. It was just yeah. like you know, I just com- turned into a complete asshole in one second because I want to play with these other guys. <laughs> well, but who were some of the names? I mean, let's be well, honest. There's a guy named Rick Murata, drummer. If you look him up on All Music, you know you'll see pretty much every record from the '70s you ever you ever heard of. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, and Mike Landau, who's an amazing guitar player, who mm-hmm. played with um, everybody from like heavy heavy jazz guys to uh, a lot of Joni Mitchell stuff in the in the late '70s and early '80s. And uh, and then the other guy that they told me that they wanted. That was on the the session was Andy Summers from the Police. Oh man! Oh, and man. I was I like, I would have lost it right then. Yeah, and that didn't yeah. end up happening because the guitar player, because Mike Landau, played everything so well. They figured the only reason we'd be getting Andy Summers in there to to do anything would be just to put his name on it, and it seemed a little bit like stupid. Although it would have been really cool, and I would have loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I loved the Police. They were like one of my favorite bands at the time. Totally. Yeah. So those of the three, Andy Summers unfortunately never made it, but the other two, Rick Murata and Mike Landau. Wait, did I say that right? Mike Landau. Mike Landau, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they play. They're the ones playing on this, on this, on the song. And those guys were like, you know, these guys were all session guys. You know, yeah. What the were their thoughts? That, Do you know what their thoughts were working with you? Probably. Like, who is this guy? Probably. Who, there's no reason to be interested in this at all because this is just some dumb kid. And, you know, it wasn't like I was ter- a terribly impressive singer. And they probably thought, oh, the song's all right. I mean, knowing guys like that now that I've known for a long time, I would imagine that yeah. their thought was another session, you know. And yeah. they yeah. kind of went in and, and uh, but it was, you know, I think they were more interested in the fact that it was for a movie and there was an opportunity to get to know people in the in the studio. We recorded it at a big studio in in, uh, in Hollywood. And, uh, uh I'm sure they were just, you know, looking at it as, oh, well, I'll play on this thing, and maybe I'll meet a couple people, and, sure, you know, getting get more involved in film right. music, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a gig. Wow. So, um, so how, so you bought, you were selected, you bought the van, and then, what are the next few months of your life like? I mean, are you being sucked into kind of like the Hollywood lifestyle? Is that becoming attractive to you? Are you being, is it being made available to you? Yeah, I don't know if it was attractive to me. I mean, I looked at the whole thing as a good opportunity too, you know, and I was trying to you know, see what, what might happen with it if, you know, I could parlay it into a, a publishing deal or seeing, uh, you know, who who I could meet to, I don't know, co-write with or, or mm-hmm. you know, just, just move to an, another level with it all. And um, I I had a meet, uh, some meetings with people at, at big agencies and stuff like that. But the the thing was is that when when the movie finally did come out, and it tanked, you know, it was one of those things where I either it was just crickets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, was it, that it was, like, just, was that response immediate? Immediate. Immediate. It was like, ooh, box office is down. We don't want to know this guy. <laughs> and that's the way that town works. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so was that basically the end? I mean, was it? Was like the whole 
I don't know, like your moment in the spotlight, your moment in the sun, did it last from the moment your song was picked until like the second week of box office for the movie? Yeah, it was like a, it was like the summer of George. You know, it was like I had this great summer yeah. where I was, you know, hanging out with people and, and recording and doing all this cool groovy stuff. And then after the thing didn't work out, it just sort of like that was it. And I, but the thing was, it wasn't like I sat around going, oh no, oh gosh, that was yeah. a big shot. Yeah. I'm more just. It was just another thing I was doing. Granted, it was a really cool thing. Right. But I, I, you know, I've always got more projects and other things I that I do. So I just finished that and kind of moved on. And and the nice thing was, is I started working with Rick Morata. <laughs> we became friends. film music and TV show music and things like that. And so that's when, when him and, and my relationship got really good because we were friends, but we also had a nice counterpoint to each other, him being a really great drummer and arranger and kind of overall creative guy. Um, and then I just was one of those guys that, you know, I can sort of figure out how to play a lot of instruments. Like I can play guitar really? pretty, pretty well, um, but if you put you know, uh, a violin in front of me. Uh -huh. I could probably figure something out on the violin in, in a few minutes. It wouldn't be that I'm great on it. <laughs> I would just, right. I would give you the whiff of a violin riff. Wow. Um, you know, and it's just because I just, you know, I can, I can just manage yeah. to do that kind of stuff. It certainly doesn't mean I'm any good. It just means that I can do something like you that. You can figure it out. <laughs> so you're clearly talented. You've got this natural ability. And Rick sees that and you two kind of form a partnership after this is said and done. And, and yeah. what, what, what are the fruits of that partnership? Uh, he introduced me to the world of jingle singing because a lot of what session guys in LA do is jingles. And he mm -hmm. saw me and the way, and the way I was living, you know, with my van and my, right. and my crummy apartment. And he said, why don't you do something in music instead of, Oh, and at the time, I was using my van to throw the LA Times from 2 a.m. until 7 in the morning. No way. And it was a, just, a, you know, so I was like a, a sort of a paper boy. And yeah. he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, why aren't you, why don't you have a better job? And I said, like, what? And he goes, why don't you sing jingles? And I said, well, I'll just go to the jingle guy and I'll say, hey, I can sing. And he goes, <laughs> he goes no. He goes, I know a million people. That, that might be able to help. I'll I'll put your name into their hands and we'll see what happens. So I think the about a month later I get this call. It's like six o'clock at night on a Tuesday, and I get this call from this guy. He says, and he goes, Hey, my name is uh, such and such, and we got your name from Rick Morata. We're doing a session right now, and we need someone to sound just like my cat from Face No More. way wow he goes can you do that and i went sure sure i couldn't i couldn't 
Uh, and, and I, but I, I said, okay, and I drive down to this place and scream my head off. And they said, that's great. And it was for oh, like man. a ham, ham's beer jingle or something like that. Oh, my gosh. And they said, well, what, you know, can you sing other ways? And I said, sure. And I, you know, sang a few things for them. And they said, oh, we'll keep you in mind. And all of a sudden, I started getting calls all the time to come and sing jingles. So I did really? tons of jingles. Yeah, I did Frosted Flakes. I did uh, Bud, Budweiser. I did Coca-Cola. I did Pepsi. <laughs> That's a little bit of a conflict of interest. Um, yeah, well, but, too bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's a gig, right? Yeah, exactly. And the and what, the way I always looked at advertising, you, you know, making money from that sort of thing, was it's it's a little icky. But at the same time, um, I would take the sort of corporate money from these gigs and I would put it into some weird-ass music project sure. that, you know, just some oddball thing that I knew no one cared about except me. Sure. <laughs> and well, so that's how I was sort of, I was sort of washing the money, you know. Yeah, make washing it good. Yeah. Um, so does jingle singing, does that become basically your job then after this? That was pretty much... For for a single guy at the time living in in L.A. and being like a fairly you know off, oftenly called singer on these high end jingles, it, it wasn't bad. Wow. Are you still <laughs> teaching guitar? And are you still delivering the newspaper? Um, after I started doing these jingles, I stopped doing the, I started stopped being paperboy, <laughs> and uh, wow. I stopped teaching guitar, and really sort of focused on on doing that. And I I also started doing voiceover at the time. Uh, I got a call from uh, uh, Ringling Brothers, and they were doing a like these ice shows that were like uh, George Lucas on ice. Uh-huh. So it's like all the <laughs> George Lucas characters, Star Wars and Indiana Jones, and they're all wow. uh, they're all skating around, uh, reenacting scenes from the from the movies sure. over at the LA Sports Arena for Brazilian kids. And well, so I was doing voices for this stuff and I started recording voiceovers and uh doing voices with some of the top people in, in LA which was really fun and I just completely fell into it. Completely ass backwards into it, yeah. And that becomes your life for a while. Now are you still um so one thing that I find it kind of interesting about all this to backtrack a little bit is that you didn't view, um, it doesn't sound like anyway, that you viewed this opportunity to write this song for this movie as like a big break. Um, did you, were you even, I mean, I don't want to minimize your ambition or anything, but were you like just hungry for stardom or what was the goal while you were doing all of this? Were you kind of just trying to make a living somehow doing music? Were you sort of figuring it out? Um, were you hungry but didn't recognize the song in the movie as being the big break? It was something else? Where's, where are you at mentally during all of this? Well, you know, I'd be lying if I said I, I wasn't thinking, oh, this could be a really cool opportunity, you know, maybe uh-huh. get a record deal or something like right. that, or okay. songs in more movies or something like that, which I would have loved. I, I never really, you know, I don't remember ever thinking to myself, gosh, I, I really, really want to be famous. Uh-huh. I'm, I remember thinking to myself, I would love for people to like my songs. Yeah. Uh, that that was sort of the, I think the goal was to just be, uh, make a living as a songwriter and and, uh, and a singer. And mm-hmm. so that that was really cool when that happened. And 
but but no, I, I just don't. I don't remember being like, you know, oh boy, this is going to be my big break. I think it's because also it was the first cool thing that ever happened to me. But yeah. I had also been playing around LA for like, you know, maybe maybe five years since I was like seventeen, and yeah. five years is a is a long time to kind of slug it out with a band. You know, mm-hmm. you sort of get you sort of get the general idea of how tough it is out there. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, not to say it's not fun. There's a lot of fun that goes along with it too. Of but course. you know, dragging a bunch of guys, stinky guys around in a stinky pickup truck and going to a stinky club and mm-hmm. and playing for nobody. <laughs> and then, yeah. then, then the club asking you to buy tickets to, to uh, for, for the privilege. Yeah, you know yeah. these old these pay to play places, right? And you're yeah. like, are, are you kidding me? Yeah, you know this is like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But you want a gig, so you you know you sort of try to play yeah. play ball with everybody, and then realize, boy, this really sucks. But you, you know, I I wasn't, I guess I I, I it, it wasn't that I was jaded or bitter or anything like that, but I. I definitely sort of like took everything with a big grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was there ever a moment where you felt like you had arrived or you had accomplished, you know, something or that you were set or was it always still kind of being kind of swept away in this new life that maybe you hadn't planned for yourself, but you were enjoying and was, you know, satisfying at the time? Um, I I don't I just don't think I've ever <laughs> felt like I, I arrived anywhere. Oh, I always really? feel like I yeah I always sort of feel like I uh, I'm watching the train as it disappears in the distance. Uh, <laughs> so even well see now that's how most people feel. But you you were having some a modicum of success even if it was jingle singing and writing. I don't know if you wrote them, but jingle singing. You um, now you're not a household name, but you're you're being paid and earning a wage to make music or do music. I mean, you, there's worse jobs out there. Was that a was that coming with a sense of accomplishment, or even then you're still like, well, this is good, but I still feel this restlessness. Um, yeah, I, I've I have a very restless. I'm a I'm a very yeah. restless person in general. Okay. Uh, I think I think that's why I've got uh, thir- 31 records out because I just yeah. can't. I kind of can't stop that sort of, I guess, yeah. ad- adventure and trying to discover something new and just kind of moving, always moving and always trying to yeah. find something new, I guess. So tell me some Hollywood stories. During this period where you're, you know, being kind of primed for fame or whatever during the, before the release of the movie, give me some Hollywood stories. Uh, well, let's see. Oh, um, I remember going to lunch one day with with Rick Morata. Now Rick knows everybody in town. He's one of those kind of guys. And we walked into some place to have lunch, and we were. This guy walked up to him and said, "Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, great. Hey, you should sit and have lunch with us. Yeah, great." And this guy who we knew, there was another guy with him, and so we all, the four of us, went and sat down at this table. And uh, I just remember looking across. The table while Rick and the other guy started talking, I realized, oh, I'm kind of paired off with this other guy. He probably feels about the same way I do about it, which is, oh, great. Now I've got to try to make a conversation with this guy. <laughs> and I and I look up and I'm like, this guy looks really, really familiar to me. And I realized that it was Richard Marks.
right. way. But this was like literally at the height of his fame. Like when he had all those big ass songs out and everything like that. And, and the big ass bass- hair. Right? Yeah. Giant he's hair. Wearing base- wearing a baseball cap, so you can see that. Oh, but, I get it. No wonder. But yeah. So, and I was like, well, let's just chit chat about something else. So we just talked. I don't remember what we talked about. It didn't have anything to do with music or, or anything. But we just, you know, found common ground wow. to talk about while the other two guys were, were going. <laughs> huh. Was he nice? I mean, was he... Very, very nice. Super nice guy. That's what I've heard. Anything else? Any other Hollywood-like stories that were going on around the time? Uh, I went to a a small party one time uh, over at at Courtney Cox's house because Rick's wife at the time was friends with her, but she wasn't on Friends yet or anything like that. She was just... She'd been in that Springsteen video where he pulled Mm -hmm. her up out of the crowd. I think she had been like Michael J. Fox's girlfriend on Family Ties or something. Yep. So I kind of knew who she was. And we get to this party, and, and it's just Courtney and her boyfriend, Rick and Chelsea, me and my girlfriend, and Peter Frampton and his wife. And that freaked me out completely. Because <laughs> I, you know, I mean, you grow up with Peter Frampton. You know, everyone yeah. had that record, you know, with him. You know, Frampton comes alive with him staring up into space. Of and so when I, I didn't know he was going to be there. I, I walk in the door and shake his hand, and I'm like, that's not Peter, that's Peter Frampton. Oh, this yeah. is weird. And, and then just sort of hanging out all night and kind of just waiting for for him to tell some amazing rock and roll stories. Sure. You know, some road stories or something. And instead, him and Rick talked about golf all night. Wow. And I wasn't really expecting that, but that's what they like. There you go. That's what Peter Frampton wants to talk about in his spare time, is golf. Golf. Yeah. <laughs> go what? Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, that's the thing about, it's funny what people's perception of a lot of these people are, you know, yeah. and what the reality is. A lot of it is sitting around talking about golf. Yeah. When a, when a lot of people, they, you know, they imagine like this crazy life with all this crazy stuff going on. And maybe maybe there was some of that at some point, but, you know, Everyone's just trying to kind of get by and raise a family and hang out and they got stuff to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So a lot of it's a lot of it's golf. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, okay. So, um, so for the next what four or five years, six years, you're doing mostly TV work, um, George Lucas work, and jingles and stuff, right? And is that kind of sustaining you for a while? That becomes your career? Yeah, that was... Okay. I, the, the making a, Being a jingle singer in, in, in L.A. is not a bad living. No, that's what I've heard about that and voiceovers. And it's, yeah. like, supposedly just the best job, right? Yeah. And and what happens, though, is um, you've heard the expression of flavor of the month. When, mm-hmm. they, when they sort of, like, if they've used you too many times... You know they'll they'll really like just go oh I'm sick of that guy. It right. happens all the time. It happens to me in Portland when I when I do voiceover. If I do enough of it, people go oh we're sick of this guy. And then you wait around for six months, and then six months sure. later they'll bring you back in another project. And you know that's just kind of the way it goes. But yeah. that's sort of what happened jingle wise because I was doing a lot of them, and uh, I just kind of hit this point where. Uh, I I had been the flavor of the month, and so sure. at that time I had met my 
girlfriend at, at the time, Kim, who's now my wife, and we've been together mm-hmm. for a long time. Good um, for you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think I'm prouder of that than uh, anything else. Good. It's rare. You know, like, I'm proud yeah, of I mean, you. Like, you know, uh, people don't really bother to stick it out anymore. Yeah. You know? And yep. it's like they just kind of get tired of someone and they go, eh, I'm done with this. Yeah. Like, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, you know. Good for you. Thank you. So your wife, did she uh, did she want to move to Portland or did she influence the decision or did you kind of jointly come up with, like, let's get out of here? Yeah, it, not she didn't really influence at all. We did, it wasn't a thought in our our mind. We um, she she worked for um, if you've heard of a film producer named Dina De Laurentiis. Yeah, sure. Huge huge film producer. He did like the Kong movie with uh, you know Jessica Lange and, and uh-huh. uh, Jeff Bridges, and he did the he did like David Lynch's Blue Velvet and the Silence sure. of the Lambs movies and all that kind of stuff. Um, and not to mention a million other things. But Kim yeah. worked for him, and she was a, a script reader and, uh, like, sort of assistant to one of the other producers there, and she had this cool job. And that job kind of suddenly went away. And so Kim and I went on a road trip just to kind of get away from Los Angeles, and both of us were really burned out on the place anyway. And we ended up coming up to Portland and going in a just a, a snap decision that you, <laughs> as you get older, you don't make decisions like this. Uh-huh. And we're like, this is nice. Let's live here. Wow. And and both of us went okay, and we uh, it wasn't even a thought to move away. And then we were here, and we went, let's live here. And and within an afternoon, we put money down on an apartment and got back in the car and drove, you know, wow. uh, back to back to L.A. to pack everything up and go. And people were like, are you guys kidding? What you're leaving? That's amazing. Yeah, and it just happened to be Did like... Did you feel like you were leaving, were you leaving kind of a lucrative thing behind, or was was it not enough where you weren't ready to just start fresh someplace new? Yeah, I mean, I luckily I, I had a little bit of money, so mm-hmm. I could pack up, I could pull up stakes and do something else. And I think I'd, I sort of sensed on the wind that maybe I had run it, it had run its course mm-hmm. as far as me being... Mr. Jingle, you know, alt, alternate youth jingle singer guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah, so, I mean, I, I kind of went, well, this might be the right time. Okay. And and that's that's what we did, and, and we came up, and, like, the second I moved to Portland, I was like, this is my soul city. I just yeah, love it I here. I, I just love it, so... So what do you do? What I mean, what kind of a life have you carved out for yourself ever since? You know, uh, I for the last 22 years, I was playing a gig with a another acoustic guitar player with an acoustic duo, uh, Tim Ellis, and we were mm-hmm. just Jim and Tim. Everyone knew us as Jim and Tim, or okay. Tim and Jim. He has seniority. I forgot. And okay. um, if I have anything to do with it, it's Jim and Tim, though. Right. Uh, and and uh but we we him and I played you know a a million gigs. We played all over Portland. We have played all over the Pacific Northwest and all over the place and we've opened for tons of bands and done a bunch of stuff. And then about 3 months ago, it had been coming for a while, but I just kind of went, "Ah, eh, I I feel like I'm kind of done playing live at least for the time being." And sort of the same way when I left LA, it's the same kind of feeling like I just feel like this is the right time to not do this right now. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, I, I feel like it's been a really, really good decision um, because I have been doing a lot more voiceover, a lot more. Uh, I have a recording studio up here, and I produce uh, produce bands, mostly acoustic singer songwriter kind of projects because right. that's the stuff I that I really like. Uh huh. Um, so I do a lot of production. I do a lot of voiceovers here. I do a lot of uh, post production on TV commercials, sound design. Wow. Um, all, all kinds of stuff. And it's really, really fun and it's really fascinating. And about every year and a half or so, I try to put something out, uh, another album of my own out. Yeah. Now, okay, so I want to get to this. You've got a ton of stuff available on CD Baby. And so here's, let's go, so one, so real quick, once again, let's just establish the fact when you, does it bother you to be tied to this one song? I hate to keep coming back to it but at the time when you did the thing that most people would know you from mm-hmm. um it's difficult to go buy the soundtrack or if it maybe it's not right then and there but it becomes it goes out of print it becomes really like an import it's expensive you can't buy your song on itunes or anything like that it's not on spotify so um but don't you join a band or do you, do you start a band or something after this uh, well, I still had Lost Anthony. Yeah, you know, but still... what's the uh, the JVA? The um... ah, right. Oh, that was you know when you said you couldn't locate me anywhere on on Google as Jim yes. Walker. It was yes. a kind of a conscious decision. Um, at at the time, I I decided to start a band, and the band was called Jerome Van Aken. That was the real name of the painter from the um, from the uh, Middle Ages, uh, Hieronymus Bosch. And I, I I always liked the story that he had a pseudonym back then, and it was because the stuff he was painting was so subversive to the church and everything like that that he had to paint under a, an assumed name. So yeah, this guy Jerome Van Aken was doing this thing, and I thought, oh, that's cool. I'll call my band Jerome Van Aken. Uh, like you know, like Pink Floyd, Jethro Tull, one of these sure, things. Sure, sure. And almost immediately, people thought that it was my name. So people started calling me Jerome, and I'd correct them. And then after a while, I stopped correcting them because I thought, hey, maybe I can take that guy's pseudonym as my pseudonym. Sure. And uh, so, I, so yeah, so people knew me as Jerome. Okay. A lot of people thought I was, you know, like from Amsterdam uh-huh. or something like that. <laughs> and I was just some... Immigrant who has started a band in Portland. So is Jerome Van Aken a band, or is it mostly you? Is it mostly an outlet for you? This was actually a band at the time, a band that played when I first moved to town. And uh, and then we shortened it to JVA. And and, and now all of my records come out under the name JVA. It's just sort of a, I don't know, a little kind of a by Menon, you know. Yeah, right. Okay. Because that would that makes sense, you know. I um, over the years, every couple of years, I'll get curious. Like, I wonder if there's anything out there on Jim Walker. I'm going to look again. And keep in mind, it's usually happening when I'm at work. So it's not like I can carve out a whole day. It's more like 
you know, let's Google some things. I would check, I would Google like the, the uh, I would find the occasional blog, like a movie-themed blog, right? Uh, 80s mm-hmm. movie-themed blog or whatever. And I'd see a couple of them where they would say, you know, whatever happened to this guy, Jim Walker? And um, we <laughs> love this song, but no one's I, ever I got, heard I got from inter- Jim I got Walker interrupt you. again. I have to interrupt you just to say I love the phrase, whatever happened to Jim Walker? I love it so much I can't even tell you. <laughs> I, love, I love it. Anyway, go ahead. Isn't it? I mean, you're get, you love this, right? You you kind of get off on being like this obscure thing out there, right? <laughs> I guess I guess I must. I mean, I've I've seems I've done everything in my power to to avoid anyone knowing who yes. I am or what I'm doing. Yes, clear. <laughs> yeah, you know, yes. you tell me out. Well, okay. Well, so the people who anyone like me who loves that song and is fascinated by you wants to know more about you. They should go to CD Baby and look up JBA, and there's a treasure trove of stuff on there, right? Yeah, or you can go to my my website, which is is uh, JVAMusic.com, and that will lead you to all the records and CD Baby and on iTunes and Bandcamp um, and that sort of thing. Okay. What um, like how many? If if you can tell me, how many albums do you sell? I mean, are you getting? Is there a steady stream? Do people? How are people even finding out about this stuff? Well, it's interesting. You know, I I sold a lot of records for a local guy. You know, in Portland, um, I sold them like at a pretty steady click at, at until about 2009, hmm. and then it was like everything just slammed shut, and I thought, wow. I, I, do, I guess I suck or something, and no one wants to buy these records anymore. But then I was talking to a lot of other local songwriters and stuff, and they were like, "Oh yeah, like all of a sudden, like all all of our CD sales are just gone." And I went, well, oh. "What's going on?" And I realized everyone's streaming stuff. That's when people started yeah. kind of streaming. And yeah. now we're to the point where no one even buys CDs anymore, unless it's some random thing, you know, like uh-huh. you see somebody playing on the street, and that's all they've got is a CD, so you, so you buy right. it. But, right. you know, CD sales are just nothing, and people stream, and <laughs> that's great. And things like Spotify and Pandora and all those kind of things are, are terrific, except that uh, they might have the, their intentions in the right place, but they don't pay anything. Um, every time you get played on Spotify, at least last time mm-hmm. I heard, you get one forty-second of a cent. Yeah, that's what I've heard, too. So... You know, I remember, I, I think I, I, I saw a tweet from Bette Midler, and it was, she said, hey, I just found out I got a hundred or 110 million plays of Wind Beneath My Wings. And she goes, I sure I'm loving this $212 check. No way. Or something like that. And I was like, what? Wow. No way. I'm sure my math is fuzzy on that, but it was something as screwy Something as like that. that. Yeah. And you're like, good grief. And then, you know, like, uh, uh, Pharrell Williams with that happy shirt, sure. which you could yeah. not escape. Um, right. He made something like four thousand dollars on on Spotify last year from it. No way. That's insane. That's horrible. I mean, that's, yeah. It's so out of whack. And, and what ha- what happens is, you know, the people that are making a lot of you know money, you know, if you're if you're Katy Perry and you're Taylor Swift and that sort of thing, you know, yeah. you're, you'll be fine. But sure. what I worry about is is not only myself, but I worry about every indie artist 
who's out there just now just completely sucking ass yeah. because of this stuff, because that's the way music is delivered now, and they don't pay for it. So all you can do yeah. is just sit around and go, geez, well, I guess I'm just going to give my records away for nothing. Yeah. Because I, you know, but, uh, you know, a lot of people go, well, you should, you know, music's free, man. Duh. But that's not really true. No. I mean, you, wouldn't ask, you wouldn't ask any other person in a profession to do right. something for free. No. no. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah backwards. So, yeah, and I got a feeling that someone is going to figure this out. And, and uh, you know, and that person will probably get extremely rich. Probably. <laughs> well, I hope it happens because it's just a shame, man. It's the, I, I miss the old music industry, you know. I, and I I still collect CDs, and I still I still find value in like holding a tangible item as opposed to downloading something. Mm-hmm. But like in your case, you know, I had to download something to remember me by because it's the only way to even get it. I just want you to know that you created something 28 years ago that matters a tremendous deal to me and it it matters to 61,217 other people and oh thank you sure and and but if I know that must seem strange um it'd be like if you know if I somebody got found a paper I wrote in junior high and it inspired them to cure cancer or something like not even that it inspired them to uh create Esperanto some other strange (laughs) cult-like thing that you know, only really matters to the devoted. You know what I'm saying? But those people who love this song, I I know would be fascinated by you and your story. And it's a, it's an interesting story. And so I wanted you to know that you've done things in this world, whatever they may be. You did something, you did many things, I'm sure. You did one thing in particular that had a butterfly effect on me. And I want to thank you for that. Well, you're totally welcome. That really means a lot sure. to me, I, and I'm 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 blown away. And I'll tell you something. After after that little rant I did about giving away music for free, anytime anybody has ever contacted me about that song from Three O'clock High, one of the things they say is, "I can't find this song anywhere." And I just yeah. go, "Hold on to your hat," and I send them the MP3 because I've, I've got oh, it. Oh, nice. So, nice. I, if, and I swear, whoever hears this thing within the sound of my voice, if you send an email to me, I will send you the song. That's amazing, no and I can I can vouch for the fact that um, you respond to people who contact you through G- JVA Music. Is, are there other ways for people to find you or keep tabs of what you're doing? sounds like you're kind of retiring from music, but if they wanted to go back and discover some things or contact you, what, what should they do? Well, I'm, I'm definitely not retiring from music. I'm, I'm retiring just from playing live. Okay, that's, okay. That's the only thing, because everything else is like I, I have more projects than – you know, I've got uh, life left to live, so yeah. um, I'm I'm doing all kinds of stuff with myself and with other people, and really, really fun, cool stuff. But um, you can find me on Facebook, James Stanley Walker, on Facebook. Okay. You can find also on Facebook JVA Music, um, and my recording studio, which is Studio Five One Five. You can find that on Facebook as well, and that's a good okay. start because all my other links and things are are on there. Um, okay. Or jvamusic.com is the other one. Okay. And then um, tell us about sound, this SoundCloud project you're doing. Oh, this is a sort of a – I've been writing a lot, sort of journal entry writing and, and essays and things like that, and I've, I've done some stuff for um, 
blogs and local papers and things like that and local zines. But um, this is sort of a, a audio memory project of uh, a life as a musician. Mm-hmm. And so the the first one of these things was about three o'clock high. Um, it's called Record, and I decided to post it on SoundCloud as a I guess it's a podcast. Um, yeah. But I'm calling it an it's excellent an audio story because I don't know. What really yeah. Is, you know. Um. Uh. But well, yes, that really. Thank you very much. It's got a really good response so far, and um, I'm hoping to get these, you know, a lot more of these out because I got a lot more uh, a lot more stuff I'd love to share. Yeah, good. I hope you do. I'll be uh, anxiously listening to all of it. So uh, thanks again, Jim Walker, for talking to me. John, it is my pleasure. Thank you very much. You bet. Interesting, right? The guy goes from total obscurity to swimming in the Hollywood pool for a couple of months, and then poof, it's all over. Now, thankfully, he managed to maintain a career in music um, on the fringe, but he still managed to do it. Just, I think that's so interesting that he was there playing the game briefly, and then because the movie wasn't a success, it ended. Now, I want to point you to that record. I don't know much about SoundCloud, I'm afraid, but if you go to SoundCloud and you look up record, all caps, Jim Walker, he tells a beautifully produced uh, version of this same story, the whole something to remember me by story. And it's really fascinating. I would really encourage you, whether you care about him or the movie or the song or whatever, to go check it out because he tells a really fascinating story. And I'm so glad that he's a good guy and I'm glad that I like his music. His music reminds me a lot of Marshall Crenshaw, uh, who's one of my favorite songwriters. Anyway, uh, this may sound hyperbolic, but the moment when I got the email back from him confirming that he was indeed the Jim Walker I was looking for, is seriously one of the top 10 most exciting moments of my life. I will never, ever forget that. Mind-blowing. Anyway, in the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking to Chaz Jenkel, who, like Jim, is a guy that up until recently, I only knew from having one song in a movie that I loved. And then, come to find out, as soon as he agrees to do the podcast, there is a ton of incredible music out there by this guy. I was blown away. He remains somebody I am completely, completely obsessed with. Uh, Hope you enjoy it. Big thanks as always to Aaron Syrett for producing the podcast. Please find us on iTunes. Subscribe, write a review. That's very important. It doesn't even have to be five stars. I can't improve if I don't know what you think. Find us on Twitter at the hustle pod. Send me an email thehustlepod at gmail.com with any recommendations, uh, like us on Facebook, whatever, if you want to stay communicated with us. Thanks a lot, everybody. Every move is done.